Good to see you guys today, whether you're in the building, whether you're on YouTube or on TikTok, uh, which would be amazing because we're not actually on TikTok, so I don't know how you found us there, uh, but well done. Um, so my name is uh, Justin, one of the pastors here along Ross and, and Daniel and, and our other elders, and it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, we're going to be finishing up our series on this mission month where we're looking at what it means to be disciples. And then starting next week, we're going to get into our Advent series as we look forward uh, to the Christmas season. And so today I want to talk about about, uh, discipleship and, and what that means in discipling other people. When I was 24 years old, I graduated Bible school, look at that guy, become a missionary overseas to plant churches among unreached people groups. So I took the very logical next step on that journey and went to Indiana to work in a factory for eight months, uh, manufacturing instruments for prosthetic surgeries. And basically we made tools to give people fake hips like I have now. So I may have actually made the tools that some doctor used on my very hips. That would be like Doctor Inception, right? I don't even know how that would work. Um, so we had a two-week training at um, Cemetery Medical where they showed me how to do the job. And they had these giant machines that made these tiny little itty-bitty parts. And I had to learn these complicated program codes, where to find the right tools and how to put them into the machine. And each little part costs more uh, than my entire life. So I had to be very careful with these things. One wrong push of a button uh, could break the part or the entire machine, right? No pressure. And so I was, you know, I was thinking about this. Like, if I ever got on Netflix, I would never just watch a documentary on how to make prosthetic tools for surgery, right? I got bored just saying that. Like, I would never uh, do that on my own. But uh, I knew that these, th that these next two weeks, I would be, at the end of those two weeks, I would be doing this job myself, right? I would actually have to make these tools. And so I was locked in. I'm listening to what my supervisor's saying. I'm writing down every note. How did you do that? And what did you say? And where do you find that tool? Because I knew I was going to have to do that next. And this, this supervisor of mine, he left me with two key ingredients. He left me with the, with the instruction manual. And even more importantly, he left me with his personal cell phone number. So I could call him whenever I needed help which was often. Uh, when Jesus came to earth, he wasn't filming a Netflix documentary so that everybody could just watch and be like, wow, that was amazing. He, Jesus came on a rescue mission with a job to do. He came to die and to raise again and to rescue those who were lost. And, and he came to also train men and women to continue the good work that he had started. He said to his first apprentices, he said this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, that changes how the disciples watch Jesus, right? They're not just watching him like you would watch the Netflix special, or he, they're not just following Jesus around as he does everything, and they just kind of hold his purple sash while he heals and he serves. Maybe occasionally they pass out a fish or a loaf of bread. No, he know, they know very quickly Jesus is going to send them out two by two to do the very things that he was just doing, and then eventually he's going to send them out to the ends of the earth. So they're locked in on Jesus, following Jesus and, and, and probably calls, causes them to take better notes, right? What did you just say, Jesus? And, and, and what are we supposed to do there? And how do we follow you in that way? And that's the call for every disciple of Jesus. That you are called, that I am called to be a fisher of men and women, a disciple maker. Yes, you. I'm talking to you. That, that every single person in my church, our church, Jesus' church, is called to be a disciple maker. Each of us has a job to continue the rescue mission that he started. Our final message in this sermon series, we've been talking every month of November. We pause to look at what is the mission of, of Jesus' church? What are we supposed to be doing? And this month we're, we're using this, we're saying discipleship 
what discipleship means. And, and we've said that the discipleship means four different things that we wanted to talk about. And number one, it means loving Jesus. That's what we talked about week one. Then it means being discipled by Jesus. And then we talked last week that it means being discipled by other followers of Jesus. And finally this week, we're going to say discipleship means discipling other people ourselves. And, and so when I say that to you, that you, yes, you are called to be a disciple maker, how do you respond in your head and in your heart when you hear something like that? Probably not many of you are like, duh, I'm a disciple maker. I make disciples every day, all day, right? I disciple like it's a bodily function. That's weird. Don't say that. That's gross. Um, but probably not many of you, right? Like many, many of us would respond with fear. Like, whoa, I don't know that I could do that. What does that even mean? A little, a little scary to think about that. Or maybe confusion. I don't even know what that means. Or maybe there's even a twinge of guilt. Like I know I probably should be doing something along those lines. Maybe more often or better than I currently am. Um, and so our heart responds differently. There's a, there's a couple different objections that we want to talk about um, this, this morning. Responses to, to that call to make disciples. The, one might be, I, I, I don't have to do that. That's the pastor's job, right? That's why we pay you the big bucks, right? I come and attend. You're the one that's, that's doing the job, right? Or, or maybe you would respond and say, oh, I don't know that I can. That, that maybe you would say, well, I don't know how. I don't know how to make a disciple. I barely know how to make a sandwich, right? Let alone a disciple. Maybe, maybe you would say, I'm not good enough. Like, I can't. No, no, no. I'm not in that kind of a category. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm too sinful. I'm damaged goods. I wouldn't possibly be able to do that. Or maybe it's just I don't have time right now. This is not the right season. Maybe someday when, when, when I get some time, maybe in retirement, something along those lines, then I could get into discipleship. Well, we want to examine each of these responses and say, how does God's word speak into uh, where we're at? So first objection we want to look at following along in your notes. I don't have to make disciples. It's the pastor's job. Well, this one's easy. When you say, I don't have to, I say, yes, you do. <laughs> right? More biblically, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 says it this way. It says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Now, my takeaway from this verse is it says, pastors are a gift to you. So, Merry Christmas, right? You're welcome. Uh, no, we, he gave to the church these different leaders. So uh, apostles plant churches. Prophets and, and, and evangelists, they preach the gospel to the lost. The pastors and teachers, they shepherd and train the found. But what does it say here specifically, all of these leaders, what is their responsibility? Look at the next verse. He says in verse 12, their responsibility, the responsibility of the leaders is to do what? To equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Did you see what the job of the leader is? The job of the leader is not to do the work themselves. That we're, I'm the one doing all the preaching to the lost and discipling the found, and then the rest of you are just watching popcorn, clapping, cheering me along, right? Good job, great disciple making with your mouth full. Don't talk with your mouth full. No, what does it say? It says the leader's job is to equip the people to do the work. That, that the job of the leader is to train each person in the church to preach the gospel, to help the found grow, right? That's what I preach. That's why I preach. Not just to proclaim God's truth, but to actually show you how to read it yourself and show that truth to other people. That's why we have classes right now upstairs, foundations classes, teaching people how to read the Bible for themselves, that's why we counsel, that's why we model following Jesus, what it looks like to make disciples so that every single one of us can live this out. So a, a kinder response to this as we are equipped for every good work. I would say, you, you might say, I, I don't have to make disciples, it's the pastor's job, to which I would respond, no, no, no. The pastor's job is to equip you to do your job of making disciples. 
that, that's my job. And just like at Symmetry, this will change how you pay attention, right? If you're just listening, like, oh, I felt good about that. Thanks for preaching that sermon. I feel better about myself now. You're missing the point. We need to be listening and locked in as we're following other Jesus followers to know that, that I'm supposed to be going out and doing this myself. I'm supposed to be going out and, and, and telling others this truth, right? So we, we dial in and we, we, do the, we do what we're supposed to do. Now, the second objection that you might um, hear often or might even say is, I don't know if I can, right? Like, Justin, I'm no super Christian, right? I am not, you have no, I have no idea how I would disciple. I don't have the ability to. I can't. Well, if that's what you're thinking in your heart, you're in good company because that was Moses' response to God when he told, when God told Moses to let his people go. Um, Moses, in, in Exodus 3 and 4, he's at the burning bush, and God calls him to go rescue the people of Israel out of Egypt. And, and Moses says this three times. He, he says, but Moses said, but Moses said, but Moses said. The first one, he says, who am I? Who am I to go? How am I qualified for this job? Then the second thing, he says, well, what, what am I going to say? Even if I go, I don't know what to tell them. And then finally, even if I know what to say, I can't say it well. I cannot say it well. And maybe you can resonate with some of Moses' objections. Now, I want to say it this way. If it's not a God-sized task, if what we're called into is not a God-sized task, then we don't need God. Right? We can do it ourselves. If it's a Justin-sized task, Justin can do that. But if what we're called into is a God-sized task, then we cannot do it without God. Of course Moses couldn't rescue a million people plus out of slavery from the most powerful empire on earth. Of course, he couldn't perform any one of those ten miracles all by himself. Of course, he couldn't part a Red Sea in his own strength. And of course, you and I, we can't raise the dead. Like, you and I, we can't change hearts. We can't save lives. We can't save broken relationships and marriage. We don't have all the wisdom for all the questions that all the people have. It's not hard. It's impossible on our own, on our own. But we aren't on our own. And like Moses, we've been given three vital gifts Look how God responds to these objections. First, Moses says, Exodus 3, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Egypt, Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? And maybe you say a similar thing. You're going, Man, I can't disciple. I'm too messed up. I'm too sinful. I'm not a good example. You wouldn't want people following me. Well, God's response to him is the same response he would say to us. Verse 12, he said, no, I will be with you. Moses, I will be with you. I am is sending you and is going with you. It's not like Moses was waltzing into Egypt and Pharaoh and his vast army are like, oh no, it's one homeless looking guy. Run. Right? They're not afraid of Moses himself. No, it's the I am who went with him that would do these mighty works. He's the one that would rescue his people. You and I are not anybody's savior. We're pointing them to the savior. Do you see the difference? In fact, the person needs to see just how jacked up you are to, to understand, no, 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 I'm not the Savior. Look, how, look what my Savior has saved me from and how he's changing me. And he can save you and change you as well. And like Moses, man, we're just the, the mouthpiece that God is using to proclaim what he has done. You know, the power we have is when Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples and I will be with you. I'm not just sending you out. It's actually my power in you, working through you, that is going to accomplish this mission. Well, then Moses, next objection. He said to God, if they ask me, what, what shall I say to them? What, what am I responding? If I have to talk, if I have to open my mouth, because great, I'm your mouthpiece, but I don't know what to say. And maybe a lot of you are like, I'm no Bible scholar. I'm no pastor. And, and to which Moses, God replies to Moses, he says, say this to the people of Israel. He, he tells them, he tells Moses exactly what he wants them to say. I remember at Symmetry, uh, my boss became this broken record. Every time I'd ask him a question, he'd say, it's all in the manual, right? Check the manual. It's got all the answers. 
to life. It was amazing in the cemetery medical handbook. Who would have thought? But he, the same thing in, in the word of God, right? Second Peter, he t- God says we have everything that we need for life. Everything that you and I need to be like him. He says he's given it to us. And one of these tools, the central tools that he's given us is the Bible. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he said, the word of God is useful for the correcting and training and teaching of each of us. And so God gives his instruction manual. We have Jesus himself coming to earth, modeling, teaching, showing us how to live and, and what to tell people. So the question is, do we know the word? Are we in the word? Are we learning Are we meditating on his word so that we know how to live and and what to say? And some of you are like, well, I try. I try to read my Bible faithfully, but I still don't understand this thing. That leads us to the last last point here. Moses says to God, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Oh, Lord, please send someone else. Moses says, I'm not exactly a public speaker. Um, Could you send someone else? which God graciously, gently replies. He says, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. It's going to be good for the brothers to dwell together. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and, he, and I will be your mouth. And with his, I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. Now, this is not saying God's just going to give you an Aaron so that you don't have to talk to people. That's not the takeaway here. He's saying, I'm not going to send you out alone send you with your brother, and you guys have different gifts, you're going to work together uh, to do the mission, right? And so similarly, let's say that, you know, a a co-worker turns to you one day at work and says, hey, you go to church, right? What do you believe? Now, what a dream scenario, right? Or maybe for some of you, that's a nightmare scenario, right? And, And you all, like this, you got deer in the headlights, right? You are freaking out. I do not know what to say. And then you try to say something and you find your tongue all twisted up. I, uh, God is, uh, Jesus, blood, pass. I don't know. Control, all delete. Control, all I don't know what to say, right? You're freaking out. At cemetery one night, I could not figure out this one part. And all night long, I was getting frustrated. I'm like, I'm going to, at best, break this extremely expensive piece of equipment. At worst, I'm going to burn down the entire plant right? Something has got to give here. And so I wisely picked up the phone and called my supervisor, said, I need you here stat because I am going to die, right? Help, calling for help. And, And Moses, he gives, Moses was given Aaron to help him. At work, I was given other humans, supervisors, coworkers. I'm not alone. The Holy Spirit, we're not left alone either. John 16, Jesus said to his disciples, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Like we have been given the spirit of God in us. The spirit that knows all truth is the source of all truth. He says he's going to guide you. He's going to tell you what to say. And he's going to point you to his word. So man, not only do we have direct access to the Bible itself, we also have a direct hotline to the throne of God. And John Piper, I love it, he calls prayer our wartime walkie-talkie. That we're in the midst of a spiritual battle. And we have direct access to the general But he also, not just the word and his spirit, but he also teaches us through these means, through other people, that we're not to do this thing by ourselves. There are other people, this is what we talked about last week, about being discipled, people to help us, teach us, encourage us, confront us. We need those other humans in our lives. Listen, you and I, we can't make disciples if we're not being discipled. That's the equipping part that we're talking about in Ephesians 4. We need to learn what we're supposed to teach others, right? And how much does this change our perspective? As we walk into the community of God, when we know that I need to be discipled so that I can turn around and disciple other people in the same manner. 
just like my training at Symmetry Medical, knowing that I was going to be running that machine soon myself made me listen a whole lot closer to my supervisor. It's not just do you know the gospel, like would you recognize it on a sheet of paper? The question is, can we share it with other people? Can we help other people grow? So how would we respond to say, oh, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can do this disciple-making thing. Well, I think that just like God said to Moses, I would say to you, and we have been given every tool necessary. We've been given the very spirit of God in us. We've been given his word, everything we need to know. And, and we've been given his body, that we're not doing it alone. Different gifts as we come together as a body. Man, we can step forward in boldness. So now that I have eradicated all of your objections and you have to be a disciple maker, we might as well talk about it, right? Uh, so how and who? How, how do we make disciples, and who do we make disciples? Well, a couple things. Number one, start with those around you. Start with those around you. Don't overthink this. We, we said last week that a common objection is, well, I don't have time, right? Too busy. I don't have, I can't add one more thing to my life, but I, I want to say it this way. Discipleship is not, it's not something you add to your life. Like, I'm doing a bunch of other things, and now I've got to add discipleship on top of that. No, no, no. Discipleship is how you do life, that every relationship, that every, all, your whole life, it's seen through the lens of how we follow Jesus and call people to do the same. So the reality is, you are discipling. You are discipling, whether you like it or not. See, we all have a sphere of influence. If, this, if being a disciple is being a learner, then what's discipling? It's teaching. It's influencing, right? And so each of us have influences in our life. And the question isn't, are you influencing? It's, what kind of an influence are you being? Are you pointing people toward Jesus or toward yourself or toward something else? So who is, who's around you? Who are you discipling for better or for worse? Starts in our home, right? Our spouses, our children if we have them, our family, our close friends, our coworkers, neighbors. Who, your kids are watching you, right? And they're imitating you. Dad said you can, <laughs> right? Don't, don't repeat that. Coworkers are watching you, right? And not just your words, but more importantly, your actions. And so we need to be intentional with the relationships we already have and make sure we're discipling them in the right direction. That'll keep us plenty busy right there. The next thing we want to look at is that we're called to engage the lost. So if we're following Jesus, then we're doing what he's doing. What's he doing? What was his mission? He told us in Luke 19, 10, very clearly. He said, here's why I came. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's why Jesus came to this earth, to seek and save the lost. The most urgent task that you and I have is to rescue the lost. The dividing line between heaven and hell, life and death, is Jesus alone. And so the dis discipleship, if, if discipleship is teaching and helping someone grow in Christ, it's got to start with being born, right? You can't grow as a believer if you're not born into the family in the first place. So how do we reach the lost? What do we do? Well, that's why I'm here, to help equip us. Uh, and, and we want to use the acronym, maybe you've heard it before, uh, very helpful to me. Uh, the acronym is BLESS, B-L-E-S-S. -S. So the first one is to begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. Use that walkie-talkie. Father, would you give me opportunities to share Jesus with others? And then when I have that opportunity, would you give me the boldness to speak? Would you give me the, the words to say? Would you, would you show me how to live in front of them? Um, I prayed a couple months ago. I was praying, Lord, would you give me one chance this month to share Jesus with somebody? Even your pastor struggles with that. Would you give me one chance to share Jesus with somebody this month? Prayed specifically. Two days later, I walk outside, and there is a truck sitting in my driveway. My neighbor, who I'd talked a few times to before, sitting there in my driveway, pops out, and goes, he's a Russian guy, you want to get bitter with me? Now, how that story ends is not important, right? <laughs> All I want to say, right, 
is all things to all men. I can, you can drink orange juice and, and share Jesus with. No, we, what are, the Lord is, lay, begin with prayer. Ask and you shall receive. That's God's heart. Definitely become yours. L, listen, uh, listen, much more effective than having all the right answers. Because some of us are hearing this and we're freaking out. Somebody's going to ask me a stumper on creationism versus evolutionism or ask me some weird, and I don't even know where most of the Bible verses are. I don't know what to say. Well, we start not with talking, but with listening. That's actually far more effective to, to get into somebody's life. People love to talk about themselves. It is their favorite subject of all time, right? And so, the, and, and this actually helps because the more you know somebody, the better you can speak into their lives. So first, be a good listener. Then the E is to eat with a friend or experience. Uh, have an experience. We, we said last week that we have to build trust with people to be able to speak into their lives. And that takes time and proximity. There's, there's no shortcut here. And getting together with somebody is much less awkward around food. It just is, right? So invite somebody to lunch or coffee or do something you both like to do. If it's a, a go hiking, go walking, uh, what, go shopping at Sassafras. Is that still a store around here? It should be if it's not. Um, experience something with them together. Eat. The S is serve a friend. Serve a friend. As you get to hear what's going on in their lives, you start to hear ways that you can meaningfully serve them. One of the best ways to tell them about Jesus' love is to show them his love through, through sacrifice, through service, through putting their needs before your own. So maybe you go, man, I know in this pandemic you've been going crazy at home, right? I'm gonna, I'll give you a break, watch your kids, I'll get tested first, whatever we need to do, and then you can go, you can go, go out and get some errands done, or go get a, go get a catch a breath. Or maybe I can, can I come shovel your driveway for Whatever it might be, how can we serve those people? Listen, and you'll find ways. And then the final S is to share your story. Share your story. As inevitably they ask you about your life, um, we need to be ready to share our story. Listen, you can't get your own story wrong, right? It's your story. You don't have to have the entire Bible memorized. We're simply proclaiming Jesus and what, who he is in our life, what he's done in our life, what he's saved us from, just sharing the gospel through your own life. And, and here's what I would challenge each of us to do is pray for three people in your life, continually trying to challenge each of our people in our church. Who are three individuals that you can faithfully, daily pray for that don't know Jesus? I prefer it to be somebody that we rub shoulders with. So for me, it's my, my Russian neighbor, one of my guys I'm praying for. Another, another one's a friend of mine, been a friend for a long time, doesn't know Jesus. The third one's a guy that works at KBH Elementary, teacher that I substitute there regularly, so I'm, I'm seeing him somewhat consistently. Who are we praying for? God, give me opportunities. Give me opportunities. We engage the lost. Then number three, we equip the found. We equip the found. Um, we have a sister church that we partner with in different ways down in Ohio called The Branch. It's a cool name. The Branch. I was thinking about, we could maybe give a cool name. I was thinking maybe we could be The Tundra. That'd be cool, right? The Tundra, where Jesus is our permafrost. I was thinking that, I think that would be catchy. I don't know. We'll workshop it. We'll see. We'll see. So uh, one of the things that we, that, at this uh, church, they have this program uh, called Off the Wall. Actually, uh, Tannis, one of our sisters here, is down there training with them. It's just a one-year discipleship training, and it's just an amazing, we've had a, sent a lot of kids from our church down to Off the Wall. But one of the things that the branch does that I really love is a strategy they have called Discipleship Triangles. Discipleship Triangles, where it's groups that get together in the number three. Okay, okay, you guys are good. Um, I was like, I love this strategy, and I, I wanted our church to do that. But what I realized, we, we can never lead someone farther than we are ourselves. So if I want to call other people into following Jesus, if, if I'm not doing it, how can I call other people into it? So I thought the best way to introduce this concept is just to start it myself. And so I want to explain a little bit about what a discipleship triangle is. I want to do it through my own story as I explain some of the principles. So A, we, we look for fat people. 
We look for fat people. Now, let me explain. We're not talking about their body mass index. Uh, we're looking for people, this is an acronym, we're looking for people who are faithful, available, and teachable. Faithful, available, and teachable. Um, so I started, as I was looking around, I was like, who am I already friends with? And, um, you know, I, I like this guy, Daniel. Right? He's okay. And uh, we've been friends for about seven years. Started back when we were interns here at, at the church. And uh, I liked him. I knew he took his walk with Jesus seriously. And he liked me too. And, and now I actually pay him to like me here on staff as the youth pastor. So that, that always works out well. Um, we met up a few times. We started praying. Lord, who, who would we add? Because we need a triangle, right? Well, I'd been going to the men's Bible study, and uh, this, this tall drink of water was hanging out at the Bible study. And uh, I, I noticed that he was faithfully coming to the Bible study consistently. There was a, even an eagerness there I saw that he wanted to follow Jesus. And I was like, man, why don't you join our group? And he was eager to jump in and, and join us in, into our triangle. And then it was really cool because uh, Daniel and I had both been praying uh, right, Josiah was not who we prayed for at all, but, um, but we, no, we'd been both praying, both of us on our hearts, kind of a one, two, three, Eric, like we both were thinking about Eric at the same time, and, and Eric and I had similar stories, I'd really seen his desire to grow, and so our discipleship triangle became a discipleship square, and that's okay, that's okay, it can even be a discipleship pentagon, it's not a problem, you're wanting to grow and plant new groups, so you're looking to grow, um, but here's the deal, this is not going to work, when you're inviting other people, like when Jesus called people to follow him, who was he looking for? And who would we be looking for? We're looking for people who will commit, who will commit to, to meeting up regularly, who will make the time, who want to grow. Now, we love everybody, but you can't drag somebody along. You call them to follow. So who are people in your life that are faithful, available, and teachable, want to grow? We call them into this kind of relationship. Now, last week, we defined discipleship like this. We said discipleship is friends intentionally following Jesus together. Friends intentionally following Jesus together. So I want to look at the next three components here using this definition. So the first one is to be relational. To be relational. Um, God created us for friendship. Friendship with himself and friendship with other people. And so I've loved just simply becoming friends with these guys. We want to be friends together, right? So, so Danny and Josiah and, and Eric and I have become friends. And we, we actually formed, out of our discipleship group, we formed a community group where we said, let's get to know each other, not just in an isolated vacuum having coffee once a week, but we've been doing life together where we've been meeting up with our, our spouses and kids and we get together and we eat and we pray and we're in God's word. And then beyond that, we're, we're buddies. We started Saturday mornings going to play basketball. It's a lot in a Bible chapel. Well, whenever I wake up, right? <laughs> uh, faithful available, teachable. Uh, seven in the morning on Saturdays. Jesus isn't even awake by then. Come on. So anyway, we, we go to each other's birthday parties. Uh, we, we, we did a camp out this summer. Uh, it's just doing life together, being there at each other's milestones. The, the birthday parties, right? The, the, the weddings, the, the funerals, the, the graduations. We're there together, enjoying life together. But then there's also being missional. It's not just friendship. Like we all have friends to some degree, probably. Uh, but we're also following Jesus within the context of these friendships. And so um, what does it look like to be on mission? We said it's to look like Jesus and to link with Jesus. So we want to tease that out. There's three things that we do together as fellow disciples. Well, first of all, we get into God's word together. We get into God's word together, right? We memorize scripture, right? And, and give each other a hard time when we've forgotten to memorize the scripture verses for those weeks. Um, we read his word. Sometimes we'll give an assignment like, Man, where are you struggling right now? How does God's word speak into that? Then we dive into his word together. We read and we study and, and we apply. And so then that leads us to the second one, growing in Christ-likeness. It's not just head knowledge, right? We want to grow. So we confess sin together. Which I'll tell you, it can be hard, but it's also a beautiful thing to be fully known and to have guys say, I hear where you're struggling and I still love you and I'm still here walking the road with you. We encourage each other. 
We, we weekly and, and even sometimes daily are reminding each other of the gospel truth. Brothers and sisters, we need to remi- be reminded daily that God loves us, that Jesus saved us, that he's growing us, that he's never going to leave us or forsake us, that our acceptance is founded on who he is, not on what we do. We are prone to wander, and we need to help reorient each other in these kind of friendships. And we, we pick specific areas to grow. This, week, this year I targeted generosity, self-control, and my tongue. If you can believe it, I need to talk less, right? <laughs> Smile more. Um, and finally, we go in the Spirit's power. Uh, we put these things into practice. So together, we, we, we serve each other, and we know what our needs are. We serve our church together. It's a joy to do it together. We serve our community and, and our world. Now, we're learning on this. We don't have it all perfect together. But the last one is that we're going to be intentional. That, that, like we said last week, this doesn't just happen. Like, you don't just bump, we don't just bump into each other throughout the week, right? We have to intentionally put time aside. I need consistent accountability in my life. I do. I need consistent encouragement. I need consistent reminders of what is true. I need to consistently be known by friends and to know them. So we, we've done this once a week, 6.15 in the morning on Wednesdays, uh, which is a good area of growth for Eric. Uh, he likes to whine about that every single Wednesday and ask, can't we do like a lunch group? Would that be okay? And like, you big baby. So we, um, we, we get together early, and we've found to be consistent. That, that just works for us. That trying to do a, another weeknight or a weekend, that's just not going to work for us. We were even able to, to meet up during quarantine. Here's our, uh, f- we did some FaceTime w- walks together, social distancing. As you can see, once again, Justin captured with his mouth open. Uh, it's, that's kind of how I roll. So my, my wife, Jill, uh, they, they've started a girls group, and she's with a teacher and with a mom who has like 17, 18 kids. We've, we've lost count, but um, it, that's a lot harder for them to meet consistently. So for them, it's more of an every other week, a couple times a month. Sometimes they'll get together for coffee on a Saturday morning. It's going to look different for everybody, right? This is not conveyor belt, but it's, there's intentionality, consistency in getting together. But also, uh, in these kind of groups, I would suggest guys with guys and girls with girls. There's a beauty in getting together as the body, different ages, uh, different sexes. But in these kind of relationships, the kind of intimate sharing that you're doing with one another, I think it's more appropriate to be with your same um, sex. And so, um, finally, why a triangle, you ask? Like, why not one-on-one? Well, that can work. Again, we're not saying this is, a, this is just one strategy that we're using. And one of the reasons, with one-on-one, it becomes addition. So if I disciple one guy, and he goes out and disciples another guy, and he goes out, it's, it's one plus one plus one, whereas in a triangle, you can do multiplication, right? Because three times three is? Man, all right, we've been out of school for a little while. Yes, thank you. Mrs. Martin. Uh, three times three is nine, right? So the three of us, if we start, or the four of us, if we all start our own group, you're going to have nine people, nine people meeting now. And if each one of them plants a new one, you got 27. It's, it's exponential, actually. It's exponential. And, and so the other good reason for this is, as opposed to one-on-one, more people at the table, there's more life experience to be shared. We actually, actually learn from one another as we model those kind of conversations and that kind of intimacy. Uh, if you're interested in, in becoming a part of a discipleship triangle, uh, you can go to our website, and I've got some information on there. Put a, a manual, kind of walking through how, to, how some of the X's and O's of this gets put together, some other tools there on, on the website to know even, like, what would we talk about? What direction would we take? Um, I could not be more passionate. Not about a program. Listen, this is not a program. What we're trying to do is be intentional about following Jesus together. So this is an avenue that we use. We're not bottling it up and selling discipleship. We're saying this is one way that we can do this intentionally together. My heart is to start a movement at Peninsula Grace and in our community. A movement of people following Jesus on purpose. That's what we're called to do. 
So I want to see that happen. And they say it takes 8 to 17% of people in a group to start a movement. To profoundly influence the majority, it's 8 to 17%, which actually is lower than I would have maybe suspected. And so for us in this, in, in this church right now, that would look like 10 to 22 of these triangles starting, 30 to 66 people getting together intentionally, growing to Jesus, toward Jesus together. We have about three or four of them right now. And so just ask, if that would be prayerfully something you would consider in, in stepping into following, following Jesus. But the last thing we want to talk about today is counting the cost. If your notes, your final blank there is count the cost. Listen, true discipleship is not easy. Discipleship demands your life. But this is what Jesus has called us into. In, in Luke chapter 14, look at what he said to his disciples. He said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He says, you cannot, you cannot be my disciple if you don't, do not bear your own cross and follow me. So this is a call to lay down our lives for the sake of Jesus and for the salvation of others, to die daily to our own selfish ambitions and desires and to be a living sacrifice for him. To say, Jesus, I give you my time. I give you my priorities. I give you my energy. I give you my relationships. I give you everything. And again, you can't lead someone farther than you are yourself. Jesus isn't calling us into anything that he hasn't already done himself. That Jesus bore his own cross so that we might have life. That Jesus endured the suffering because Hebrews said he knew the joy that was waiting for him on the other side. That he would be able to go back to his father and bring with him a whole family of new, resurrected, cleansed brothers and sisters. You're now called, I am now called to live no longer for myself, for Jesus and for other people. And let me tell you, it's hard. It's hard. It's death to self. Dying to self is not fun. It's not easy. But if you do the cost-benefit analysis, this path, this narrow way, is so much better. I tell you, to live, to die to yourself is to live to God. And Paul said to die is gain. That's where life is found. Give up your life. You'll find it. It's freedom, it's joy, it's eternal reward. See, I've lived for myself, right? I've gone down that path. You probably have too. Where we satisfy our own indulgences, we put ourselves first. How, that, how has that worked out? Does that give us the satisfaction that we think it will? Does that make our life what we want it to be? Of course not. Romans 8 says that these present sufferings, this narrow way of following Jesus, it's hard, it's suffering, but it can't even be compared to the weight of glory that's waiting for us someday we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master's presence. I want to get a little direct here. Can you close your eyes with me? Kind of focus your heart. So we know that this pandemic has been an extreme challenge for every single person. Maybe there's some hermit in the woods. It's like, COVID-9 what? But for most of us, man, it's been hard, right? And listen, we need to extend grace, patience, and kindness toward each other right now. It's been a hard season. But honestly, one of my fears is that many people, for various reasons, are allowing sin and Satan to veer them off that narrow path of Jesus' mission. And oftentimes, this is a heart indicator that, that I wasn't dying to self and following Jesus beforehand. Trials reveal character. Whether it be fear, laziness, self-absorption, 
there are many people right now who are not resting in Jesus, who are not walking with Jesus, who are not obeying Jesus. Now, hear me clearly on this. There are, uh, I am not talking about whether or not somebody is attending the Sunday morning church service in person. That's not the litmus test. There are many people who are taking precautions out of love and respect and wisdom. What I'm saying is there are many people who are not following Jesus. They're not engaging the lost. When's the last time that we've even tried to point an unbeliever to Jesus? That they're wrapped up in themselves and not serving others, not helping others grow. And who are you accountable to right now? Who are you encouraging? Who's encouraging you? Who are you praying with? Who are you, who are you exploring God's word with? Who are you helping? And I'm preaching here to myself, brothers and sisters, just as much. This pandemic has surfaced so much fear in my heart, so much people-pleasing. How are people going to react to the decisions we make as a church? So much selfishness, so much laziness and frustration. My need for Jesus is on full display. And I know if I don't have these types of friendships in my life, I'm going to drown. They're my God-given lifeline in these days. People that will say, Justin, you get your eyes back on Jesus. We share in each other's struggles. And we share in the same hope. So I need each one of you who is taking the call to follow Jesus seriously to wake up the brother or sister in your life. That's, man, they're, they're, get them out of their slumber in gentleness and humility and love, but also in boldness. Remind each other, we are still on mission, pandemic or no. The lost still need to be found, and the found still need growth. So what's one little step you can take today? It doesn't all happen at once. We take these things one step at a time. You need to know the season you're living in right now. For some of us, you're trying to do too much, and you actually need to set some things down. You need to change some priorities. Maybe it's a crazy season. You've got the kids at home with you all the time. That's some primary discipleship right there in the front lines. But you need help. And maybe your first step is to be praying for one of those three people in your life or intentionally stepping forward and try to get together with them, even if it's over FaceTime or a phone call, to listen to them, share an experience together, to know how to serve them. Last couple of weeks, Jill and I have been trying to set up dinner with some of our neighbors, truck guy. It's hard, right? It's hard. And, and with schedules and COVID, and there's just a lot of, a lot of boundaries right now, a lot of, a lot of hurdles. Maybe you need to call up a friend for coffee. Maybe it's starting with one coffee, one conversation. See if it could turn into something more meaningful, more consistent. Call me. I'm, I'm here to help equip the saints to do the work. So are the other elders and the staff and leaders, the people in your life. Father, we are like Moses. We are unable to accomplish a God-sized task on our own. When we look around, there are 7 billion people on this planet. Most of them don't know you. Most of them are not following Jesus. And even as believers, we got our own sin struggles up to our necks. We need you, God. And we have you fully in Jesus. It's like Moses, you did not leave us on our own. You gave us your spirit the very person of God indwelling us, empowering us, leading us and guiding us. You've given us your word, the lamp unto our feet, everything we need for life. Your instructions, your example, your character revealed in the word. 
the gospel itself, the good news that we proclaim, and you've given us your body, that we have different gifts, we have different abilities, different strengths, different weaknesses, but you called us to work together, to follow Jesus together, and that the world's going to know that you sent Jesus through the love that we have for one another. So Father, I just pray that, that people listening this morning, they would, they would hear what your spirit is telling them through the truth in your word about what it looks like for them to be on mission. That is not optional. It's going to look different in each of our lives. Each of us are going to take different steps this week, but the call is the same for each of us to make disciples of all nations. But Father, we can only do that by your grace. Through Jesus dying for us, forgiving us, cleansing us, renewing us, resurrecting us, restoring us, and working in and through our lives, trophies of your grace, cracked jars of clay that show the light of Jesus shining through us. So as we go, we follow you, we can know it only is by your grace, and therefore you get all the glory. We go in Jesus' name, we pray in his beautiful name. Amen.